Hello, everyone. I'm Emily Lavender, and this is the Forever Marriage Podcast. Forever Marriage at Lakewood exists to strengthen families by helping couples discover God's design for marriage. All right, guys, we are in season two of the Forever Marriage Podcast, Six Keys to Better Sex and Marriage, and this is episode 13, and we're currently in key four, which is to fiercely protect emotional intimacy with and for one another. So in the last episode, episode 12, we talked through the first four of eight hedges of protection. And so we're going to finish those up in this episode. So we're going to jump right back in and pick up with the fifth one. Um, So Scott, I'm going to hand that over to you. All right. So if you didn't listen to episode 12, I want to encourage you to go back. But briefly, let me just tell you what, what we told you. The first four of the eight hedges of protection to place around your marriage, we said, were the first one was to be cautious of riding in a car alone with someone of the opposite sex. Number two was to be discerning about eating alone with someone of the opposite sex. Number three was never meet alone with someone of the opposite sex. And then four was when traveling alone, have an accountability system in place. Those were the first four of the eight hedges of protection that Dawn and I put around our marriage. And in these two episodes, episodes, episode 12 and 13, we're encouraging you to do likewise. So let's pick up with number five. Number five is be cautious of social media interactions with others of the opposite sex, especially former flames. Now, from time to time, Dawn and I will hear individuals who swear off social media for how evil it is. But over the past several years, as social media platforms, be it Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, whatever your favorite platform is, what we've learned is that it's not that social media is evil, but I, I, I personally believe it simply provides a platform for each of us to, to display the evil that is within our hearts. Jesus said it this way in Matthew fifteen eighteen through 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile a man. So social media has done nothing more, I believe, than to demonstrate to each of us what is already within our hearts. And in the privacy of our own home or in our office or whatever, what's in our hearts often just comes to the surface through our interactions on social media. So if you know you're susceptible to temptation through social media interactions, what we would say by all means, place a hedge of protection around yourself. Limit your interactions. I would say, listen, at the minimum, make sure your spouse has access to all of your social media accounts, that they can see it. We know many couples today that have a dual account that it might say, Benji and Emily Lavender, they have one account for the two of them. So anything Emily posts, Benji sees, and anything Benji posts, Emily sees. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, just maybe um, just 
a note. I mean, social media is like a house of mirrors. It yeah. is there. There's so much distorted, you know, reality that we interact with, but we internalize it as reality. You know, we we know the condition of our own life, but then we look at pictures of other people and we think, I wish my husband was like that, or I wish my husband would do that, or I wish my wife would be like that. Those are thoughts that are trying to shape your affections for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we just want to say exercise caution as you enter that world, because it's, it is not as, everything is not as it seems in the world of social media. So be careful of how it's influencing your affections for one another. Cause we say this often in our class and to our couples, and we maybe even said it here, but couples are going to live separately internally long before they live separately externally. People don't just wake up and go, you know what? I'm going to get a divorce today, but I was feeling great yesterday. Nobody really does that is that there has been a period of separation internally in our thought life that our affections have grown cold in the marriage the emotional intimacy has grown cold and we've allowed ourselves to think separating thoughts. Well, it would be better if I was with, were with somebody else. Somebody else has it better than me. Those are separating thoughts that are going to eventually lead us somewhere. And that somewhere is usually away from the marriage relationship and not toward the marriage partner. So guys, what Dawn's saying there is just simply be careful of comparing what you know about you and your marriage to what you think you know about someone else and their marriage. Because rarely we have found that this is not Scott being cynical or sarcastic. This, I believe, is just us being realistic. What is portrayed as Dawn is saying on social media often is not the reality. Um because it's not uncommon what we may see posted on social media is not what we're dealing with behind closed doors in our office. And what a person or a couple might be posting socially is not the reality of what we're dealing with behind closed doors. So just be careful. Mike Iaconelli said this in a book he wrote years ago called Message Spirituality Has Forever Shaped My Thinking About This. He says, we com often compare what we know about ourselves to what we think we know about others. And we know ourselves intimately. We know our struggles, our frustrations, our, all of those things that we struggle with personally and we struggle with as a couple. But we don't know what others are struggling with. So just be very careful of making those comparisons of what you see socially on media. I want to make one last statement about this, and hun, I want you to jump in on this too. In, we're talking about key number five, be cautious of social media interactions with others of the opposite sex, especially former flames. And this is the last statement we want to say. In today's wired age, there is a much shorter pathway between sexual temptation and the fulfillment of sin. Mm -hmm. Let me just kind of backtrack. I'm, I'm, I will soon be 59 years old, and I can remember the days in the early 70s where me and some of my middle school buddies behind our parents' back uh, would, would try to find porn. And often my buddies knew where their dad's porn stash was, and after we would get home from school, we might go to a certain buddy's 
living room or kitchen table and pull out the, the hustlers and the penthouses and things like that. Or if if you're listening and you grew up in our age in the 70s and 80s, pre-social media, you, you had to know where your parents' stash of porn was. If they had a stash, you had to know where it was. You had the to risk getting caught. Um, but also, not just that. I mean, if you wanted to have, if you wanted to have a private phone conversation with somebody, <laughs> if you were fortunate enough to have uh, the phone with a long wire on it, you could drag it. You, you could go from the kitchen into the, the dining, dining room. room. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. right. You could kind of pull that a wire mm-hmm. around there, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? And but everybody was going to hear that conversation. And you couldn't actually call somebody's house. You had to risk their to mom risk their or mom dad, dad or their or sibling, or somebody, somebody picking up answering. that phone to to actually say, "Can I speak to yeah. so and so?" You know what I mean? <laughs> may May I please? You know. So oh, was, I used to rehearse what I was going to say to my seventh grade girlfriend's dad should you? he answer the phone. It yeah, was, well, that was wise. Yeah. It was embarrassing. It was like, Lord, please, Lord, please. Don't let him answer the phone. Answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> those well, days are gone. Those days are gone. That's right. Sin for many of us guys is just merely a click or two away now. Yeah. It was it was the chasm between temptation and actual fulfillment of sin in the seventies and eighties. There were a lot of leaps and risks that you had to get through. Right. But now it's not. It's arm's length. It's yeah. just arm's length. You're in the privacy of your own bed or bathroom or wherever. And as a seventh grader or an eighth grader, that's why we teach a lot of stuff here at Lakewood where we're on staff with in our student ministry about parenting helping parents parent their teenagers and their students with smartphones because it's it's just a it's key so be cautious of social media just be be cautious of social media interactions with others of the opposite sex especially former flames okay number six is simply this keep no secrets keep no secrets we're in the midst of a wedding season and we're in a run of about six, seven, eight weeks. I've lost track of weekends where we have a, a wedding that we're either attending or officiating. And when I do officiate a wedding, which is a great honor to be a part of, I, I talk about, uh, and I picked this up from Chris, Chris Hodges years ago at the Church of the Highlands when he talked about covenant marriage. He talked about it through the lens of rights that you give up and responsibilities that you pick up. And there's three rights that you give up being ownership, priority. And the third right, which has always stuck with me is the right to privacy, the right to privacy. And what we always encourage our couples is in covenant marriage, there is no right to privacy. And some of you, when I say that, you you might kind of bristle a little bit, but let me explain it. Secrets may be a great thing when you're trying to throw a surprise party or to purchase a gift for someone um, that has longed for that gift. We got <laughs> what's it? We got it just for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Was your little um, my, gift my Opal 2.0 ice maker? It makes good ice. <laughs> 
It's that rat, what I call rabbit pellet ice. Yeah, but it's the good know. ice. It's what you like. Go to Zaxby's to buy Zaxby's a bag of Sonic. Chick-fil-A to yeah, buy a bag Chick-fil-A, of whatever. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I have it in my own home now. That's right. Yeah. I'm spoiled. So we had, me and the kids had so a little. So I just like fire safes and ice makers. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don't you're, be buying me diamonds and that's jewels. That's right. You, you're not, you're just, not a material girl like Madonna. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> but. Me and the kids had a secret little chat going on yeah. about this, planning in, in weeks in advance on how to do that. And that was a good thing. That's, that's right. To surprise you. But beyond that, we found little, if any good, comes from keeping secrets. In covenant marriage, as I said already, there is to be no secrets. I'm, you can't see it, but right now I'm holding my cell phone in my hand and when Dawn and I are in our car, here's the thing with newfangled cars. We drive a 2020 now um, after our 15-year-old car with 444,000 miles finally kicked the bucket. Yes. After, Somebody kicked our bucket. Yeah, they, <laughs> that sweet little lady kicked our bucket. That sweet and little so, lady hit me. And, but yeah. here's the reality. Now we, have, we drive a car that has Bluetooth. And so if I set my phone down in the console, the Bluetooth picks up. So here's the beauty now. It's the beauty of the kingdom of God. There are no secrets because what comes in on my phone, either through a phone call or a text message, gets displayed on the on the screen. So Dawn sees it automatically, which is a good thing. But here's the beauty of it, guys, is in doing that, of not trying to keep my, turning off my Bluetooth in the car to make sure nothing pops up that Dawn sees that I don't want her to see what in essence I'm doing every time I do that, whether she realizes or or not, I'm simply saying to Dawn, Hey girl, I have no secrets. Right. You know, we talked in the previous episode about separating thoughts, the original separating thought. When you think back to the garden for Adam and Eve, I need to hide. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's the original separating thought that set that, they felt like they could actually separate themselves from God. Yeah. I need to hide. And of course you, there's no way to do that with the Lord. There's no, there's no way of separating yourself. Yeah. He's going to, he already knows and sees it all, but the original, and it's still true today. If there comes, if there is something in your realm that says, I need to hide this from my partner, that is an original, very dangerous separating thought. And the very first time you have it, when it's done with evil purposes, not, I'm, you know, I'm going to hide an ice maker from her, but, but this text, this, you know, this, um, uh, link that I followed, um, anything like that, that I need to hide, that should be a screaming red flag to you that you are in that realm of keeping secrets. Yeah. I mean, this would be a great homework assignment for you guys, and we'll we'll put it in the show notes. Just go back and read Genesis 3. Genesis 3 picks up after the creation of the first man and the first woman, picks up in, in verse 1 of the serpent coming into the garden and the serpent uh, tempting Eve and by abstention, Adam as well. And then what happens after they fell prey to the temptation of the serpent? And you will, around verse 8, you God comes walking in the cool of the day, 
And I want you to go back and read that whole chapter and just look for keywords, just what Dawn was saying. Look for the keywords of hide, cover, blame, deny. Those are actions that follow something that we're we're shameful of. Even look for shame. Because what happens when we start keeping secrets, we start feeling the need to hide something, to cover something up. Maybe you're in your living room now as you're listening to this, and you might be listening to something and looking at something else on your iPad. But as your kids or your spouse walks in, you minimize it. Why did you just minimize it? If you felt the need to minimize whatever it is you're looking at, that should be a, an indicator. I'm keeping a secret. I'm ashamed of this or I'm embarrassed by this. I don't want this person, whoever that person is, to know that I'm looking at that. Why is that? Anytime that we try to cover something, that should be an indicator that we're on a slippery slope to disaster. So the sixth key in the hedges of protection is to keep no secrets. Jesus says it this way in Mark 4.22, For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it should come to light. So we simply say this to you. If you're trying to keep secrets, it's only a matter of time. By God's grace, that Jesus allows things to be revealed. So we encourage you to give your spouse the password to your financial and social media accounts, share joint bank accounts with each other, keep no secrets from one another, do whatever it takes to protect you and your marriage. Keep no secrets. Number seven, be mindful of affairs of the heart, affairs of the heart, what we call emotional affairs. I deal with people pretty regularly that this is a discouraging thing, but I I appreciate the fact that years ago in the early 90s when Gary Chapman first released his book, The Five Love Languages, he actually tackled this issue, and he called it, and I like the language, it's called the tingles. Gary simply defined the tingles is that what you and I may experience from time to time with someone of the opposite sex that is not our spouse. Tingles often arise innocent enough through prolonged interactions with another person. It may be from a close working relationship at the office or serving together on a church or a civic team together or some other natural interaction with life. Tingles often, though, guys, will catch you unaware. More often than not, you're not even looking for them. They just catch you. And before you know it, you find yourself looking forward to an interaction with this person. You may even find yourself thinking about them throughout the day or even talking about them to your spouse. The key about this is to be mindful of the tingles. For most of us, it's not a question of if they will happen, but when they will happen. When and if they do, here's what we recommend. We've talked about an accountable system earlier in episode 12. I'm going to come back to that now. Hopefully, you've established an accountable system with someone of the opposite, of the same sex, not the opposite sex. Let me correct that. So a male 
has an accountable system with another male. Female has an accountable system with another female. And here, here are the four parameters that we give you for that accountable partner. We say, first and foremost, they need to love Jesus. If that person is an unbeliever, they're agnostic, they don't think highly of Jesus or things of, of God, I would say, hey, they might be a good buddy, a good friend, but don't, don't waste your time with them in accountable, in accountable systems. And I don't say that in the means of judgment, but they need to love Jesus. Number two, they need to love you. Number three, they need to love your spouse. And number four, they need to love your marriage and want God's best for the two of you. And all four of those criteria we believe are important for an accountable system to work effectively. So when you're caught by these tingles, hopefully you're self-aware enough to know that someone of the opposite sex other than your spouse has come on your radar. Maybe you've caught yourself thinking about them going out of your way at church in the hallways to see them. What we encourage you is to bring those things to light. Once you have that accountable system, as we talked about in place, bring the tingles you're feeling to light with your accountability partner. Paul teaches in Ephesians 5.13, all things become visible when they are exposed by the light for everything that becomes visible is light. And this is what I found in my own experience. Simply bringing tingles to the light, things that may be catching our affections or our heart to an accountability partner, often it dispels the power that those tingles may have been having over you. So be completely honest with yourself and with your accountability partner. Don't try to minimize or sugarcoat what you may be feeling. Admit it. James 5.16 tells us this, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we may be healed. What Dawn and I have found is that confession and prayer with your accountability partner will be one of the most helpful aspects for you and your marriage. How do you feel about um, confession to your partner? That's a great question. And I've seen, hon, this <coughs> happen in various ways of success. I had a guy I was working with years ago that had tingles that I'm describing. And some of them were for his best friends of his wife and Against my better judgment, he felt compelled, I need to tell my wife. Now, some of you, when you heard what I just said, you may think, well, Scott, are you encouraging him to hide things? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But what I'm encouraging is this. I encouraged him, you can talk to me, have an accountable system, like I just said, that fit the four parameters that I just described. But I don't encourage you to share all of these things because, like I said earlier in this episode, guys, you cannot control thoughts that come into your mind and heart. But you can, through the gift and power of the Holy Spirit, control what you do with those thoughts. But I find for some men, hun, and I'm talking about men. I don't know how you want to address it from the female perspective. But I find some men 
get weighed down by shame and guilt of just having a thought. It's not that they did anything with the thought, but just the sheer fact of the thought itself just can overwhelm them. And what I have found, I believe, is the best system is have an accountable person to bring that those thoughts to the light and let that accountable person guide you. Because here's what I did find in this instance. He, he confessed everything. All of his thoughts, none of it was really actions. It was just more thoughts. And what it did for his wife was to create such an overwhelming degree of insecurity. It set them back relationally almost a two to three year period because he told her every little thought he ever had feeling he ever had, he confessed it all. And the more he confessed, the more she dug because it created curiosity on her part. The more she dug, the more he said, the more he said, the more insecure it created about her, about them, about her friendships, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, where I come from, I say be very careful about that. And I would say, I listen, I definitely agree with that. That accountability relationship has to be has to be on point. It has to be hot and working and rolling when you're in when when you're when you've got a crush on somebody like that or when you your emotionals have got all that but in terms of share with your spouse if you know if it's ongoing like if there's not resolution to that it needs to come to the spouse's attention so if if there's you know if if it just cannot if the power of that cannot be broken simply by accountability it has to you know there has to be some confession to the spouse of, of the reality of what's going on. You and I have had hard conversations right. about this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, you know, way back in the early years of our marriage, we had a hard conversation yeah. about tingles about somebody. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm thankful because it was a hard conversation. So we didn't have to have a harder one later. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, we could be diligent about, about being proactive about what, what being in that environment was going to be like for, for the one of us who was experiencing right. that. Mm-hmm. So, I would I would not say that keep that not sharing with the spouse is something that needs to be ongoing. If another layer of accountability needs to come in, it needs to be the spouse. Yeah. They need to be included in that so that emotional bonds can be broken in a in a more proactive way. And let me just say guys, and I don't say this, I hope this doesn't discourage you as you're listening to think, "Golly, Scott, I I want me and my spouse to have a heart and mind and eyes for each other and each other alone. We want that for you, and God wants that for you. But let me just say, the enemy does not want that for you. He is going to find any inroad into your heart and mind that he can to try to waylay you, to sidetrack you. And that's why we say whether it's through social media contacts with old flames from 20, 30, 40 years ago or whatever it is, he's going to use he's every possible means. Now, so having said that, as we said in the last episode, Dawn and I are coming up in December on our 35th anniversary. And there have probably been two to three times over the three decades of our marriage that I can recall having these tingles. And I do recall bringing them to the light to you, not, 
I can't remember. Yeah, I think I told you specific person. You did. And, and listen, I will just say this, guys. <laughs> Let me say this parenthetically. Dawn and I, some people, this makes very uncomfortable. Dawn and I, as she just said, choose to have hard conversations now so that we won't have to have harder conversations later. So I have said to Dawn, I remember at least twice over the three decades, hey, I am struggling with this person and just left it. You didn't, at the best of my knowledge, you didn't pry for intimate details of what I was thinking or feeling or anything like that. Just left it at, I am struggling. And, and you prayed for me. Okay. But I also like in the first, with the first time, there was not really an accountability person. Not at that time. No, there wasn't. Um, but then the second time there was. And mm-hmm. so it gave me great comfort to be able to say, well, you need to be getting this together with your accountability. Yeah. I need to know that you're doing that. And yeah. I need to be able to go to that accountability partner and say, is there anything I need to know? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I know Robert. Yeah. Tell me. That's, that's right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of my relationship with Robert. And I will say, I've said this all the time. We've been blessed to have a 22 year stretch of ministry here at Lakewood and honestly, honey, Robert is not the only reason, but he's a primary reason that I've stayed here because I love Lakewood. I love what God is doing here, but I love my relationship with Robert and the just the health that it has helped me to keep on the straight and narrow. Yeah. I love Robert too. Yeah, Emily loves Robert. I, I love, Robert love Robert too. Everybody. We love Robert. Everybody, who knows everybody Robert loves Robert. Sweet Robert. That's right. Yeah. That should be a show. Okay. Everybody loves. Everybody Robert. loves Robert. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number eight. Let's go ahead and yeah. close and close this session with number eight, and it is don't lose your mind. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But here's something that we we've had to write this really into the yeah. Curriculum this was based not originally. On, in this was it. not originally in it. But we had to write this into the curriculum because of our experiences with people. First Peter five eight says, "Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." And if you've got your Bibles, or if you've got, I don't know, this ought to be a this ought to be a Pinterest paper up on somebody's refrigerator. But to be sober minded. To be sober-minded is to be able to see things as they are and to have control of your ability to discern right from wrong and to make decisions accordingly. That's what being sober-minded is. So while there be may there may be many things that challenge our sober-mindedness, the predominant culprit that we see is alcohol. And we've counseled numerous people who they did things or they said things while under the influence of alcohol or even other mind altering substances that they would not have done or said otherwise. It was just part of the demise of the, of what was of the relationship. It it was a catalyst that propelled some sinful desires into sinful behaviors. Yeah. Right. And the inhibitions were lessened the the sober mindedness was gone. That they the ability to actually make a decision wisely was hampered just by too much alcohol or some mind altering substances. And so, you know, what we we want to say is to do not lose your mind. We're not saying 
you know, we don't we don't necessarily think the Bible forbids it, but there's definitely a lot of directives from Scripture, a lot that that cautions us against um, crossing over is what I call it. You know, getting to that place where you're about to cross over into that land of being not sober minded. Right. Proverbs 21, 20 verse one says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. And whoever's intoxicated by them is not wise. And let's, let's hold that up then to Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 18. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And so what the scripture is really saying to us here is there are things that are going to make you lose your mind that you don't have control over your thoughts and your actions. You have given it over to something else. Um, it, you've given it over to something else. This is an exercise in self-control. And so what we want to encourage you to think about when you're in your social interactions, uh, what, what is that like for you? Do you push yourself too far? Um, and for us, we, we just have seen way too much of it where the, the practice of self-control hasn't been in place. Yeah. And so uh, somebody's lost their mind and now here they are. Then they find themselves in our office because they've done something really terrible or they said some really, really hurtful things mm-hmm. um, because of that, because of their because of the influence of that. Yeah, it's very interesting what strong drink, especially because when we're more often than not, when as you were talking, I was thinking most of the adultery, not always, but often the adultery issues that we deal with tend to be centered around excessive drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I've noticed, and I'm talking to the men now, I don't know, Emily and Dawn, which y'all have noticed with women, but what I've noticed with guys, uh, Solomon picks up on this, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Uh, I, I tend to find that men who drink in excess, it makes them one of three things. They either become a brawler they like to fight they they just start hitting something or someone or they begin to say things excessively they lose the ability to control their lips they say things that humiliate themselves humiliate others things that they would never maybe they think in the dark recesses of their soul but through their spirit when they're sober they take that thought captive but they have lost their mind and they don't take it captive they say wounding things to their spouse or to someone else they either become a brawler they become excessively verbal or they become excessively sexual well it's not different for women okay i didn't know that's just the behind closed door conversations i'm having with guys Mm -hmm. is guy on a business trip has sex with a woman he never would have had sex with if he were sober mm-hmm. and can't remember who she is. can't even remember who it was <laughs> i mean you know but but i'm not but women are this women are okay. the that it makes it when we are not sober-minded we're left vulnerable to a lot yeah. of things and so you know there are a lot of things that can challenge our sober-mindedness but this is one thing that we we can have boundaries about that we can set our own um, decisions about together as a couple. And I think it's important to have this conversation as a couple 
of either we're not, you know, we're not going to, we're going to make decisions about how we're going to, who we're going to do this with, you know, not absent of each other. We're going to be together. You know, that there are some, this is a conversation that couples need to have Mm -hmm. to keep maintaining your sober mindedness is so important. Um, and this is one means that we see too much of that we couldn't, couldn't let it go by without addressing. Yeah. So as we conclude, guys, these are the eight hedges of protection Dawn and I have chosen over the past 30-some-odd years to place around our marriage to protect us, to protect our marriage, to protect the fidelity of all things, of the cause of Christ, the name of Christ, the, our, our family name, our children's heritage. There's too much at stake to risk not having these hedges. So, as I said at the onset, these are our hedges. What are yours? If you don't have hedges, if you've not even thought about this, can we encourage you and your spouse to sit down and prayerfully consider, Lord, what would you have us do to better protect the health and well-being of our marital relationship? Awesome. Thank you guys so much. These are really great practical hedges to put into place. Um, Also, just at the end, at the end in the show notes, I'm going to put in the couple's conversation questions for y'all to work through after you listen to these episodes, 12 and 13. Um, So take some time to work through that together with your spouse and stay tuned for another episode of the Forever Marriage Podcast.